0: sonic statesman what's called
1: Hello and welcome. Sonic Talk number 115. Uh, the day after the week after Nam. Um, well, the week after the week after Nam, I guess. Um, just like to say, thank you to everybody in the live chat room. Uh, we seem to be on track again. Audio's working. We've got a bunch of people, all the usual favourites. As you ahead, Audio Nerd, Bartle, Buddha, Condra, Donko, JL, Not Dalek. I guess that must be you, Mark. Number Cruncher, Oliver Davis. Hello there, mate, from Roland UK, who incidentally are sponsoring this podcast. Thank you very much for them. Coming aboard, uh, Red Walks and Rob Jess. So anyway, here we are. So, um, just like to say hello to all my um, my real time guests in an audio sense. And I'll start with PJ Tracy. Uh, PJ Tracy, of course, Emmy winning composer from Minneapolis. How you doing, PJ?
2: I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's uh, cold as hell in Minneapolis this week. I so, can imagine. So I love to join the Sunny Podcast every week and sort of warm myself up. But, um, just sort of place your head near to the, the exhaust
1: outlet from your, from your hard drive, and it might just blow some warm air about you.
2: Exactly. Next to the warm glow of my computer screen. It's fantastic. Isn't that wonderful?
1: Well, um, pjtracymusic.com. That's where you need to go to find out more about what PJ's up to. And uh, let's see who's next. So let's come back over the Atlantic and say hello to Mark Tinley, who we haven't had for a little while because he wasn't available last week, which is our first podcast after Nam. So, hi, Mark Tinley. How are you?
0: Hello, I'm very well actually. Good. I'm feeling lots of love. Are you? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad to hear I it. I am feeling very love. And I've written about it in my new book, Plug. Aha. Plug.
1: Ah. <laughs> I have been noticing an increased output in your newsletters and articles and what have you. How's
0: that all going? I've finished, I've finished the book and I've published it on lulu.com. Wow,
1: cool. Does that mean Yay. what's that like? A, is that like a PDF download or a, what, how does that work?
0: It's a PDF and a paperback with an ISBN number, and it will be in Amazon very soon. Cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm so excited about it. I've sold some copies as well. I won't tell you how many. No, no. very exciting.
1: And to people other than your immediate family, I presume?
0: Uh, Well, (laughs) none of my immediate family are... are, um, Admitting to having bought it, they're all asking for a copy, so I'm guessing that it's the people other than my immediate family yeah
1: excellent. well Jane's sister, my partner she's she does she publishes books as well so I've kind of been through that whole cycle of kind of checking the book out and seeing it in print and stuff it's very exciting
0: I'm just waiting for some copies of it to arrive and come through my front door so
1: so um, um, what's it about then just to give it as you've plugged it, you must give us a little bit of br- a very brief synopsis if that's all right.
0: Okay, there's a, a new thought or a new age concept called the law of attraction, which is the idea that our thoughts dictate the reality that we live in. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And basically, my book takes that concept in a sort of a light-hearted, humorous way and evaluates it from a logical and slightly Aspergery standpoint.
1: Right. So it's a kind of riffing on the concept. Uh, you come up with any of your own? Um... I have con- come up.
0: With a few, I have come up with a few new things, actually. Excellent. In that in that sphere of, you know, idea, I've come up with a few new ideas. So yeah.
1: Oh, brilliant! Well,
0: read con- it and find out. Congratulations! <laughs> I mean, you must
1: have been working very hard now, because uh, I I know you, you said you'd done it in around about a month, which seems an incredibly short amount of in but intense amount of time, I would think.
0: Well, the writing bit was easy. Well, the synopsis took about five days. And then it took me about two weeks to write it, and then the editing yes. just takes forever to get it right, to go through and make sure all the commas are in the right place, and all that sort of stuff, and to keep going back and back. I got an ungraded English language O-level, so um, it's... It's hard you
1: know, work. Well, the thing yeah. is also,
0: it's, you, when, know when you rule, read it and
1: reread it, it's more. To, it's also to do with the fact that, you know, is that saying what I think i meant to say when I wrote it? All that kind of exactly. stuff, isn't
0: it? Well, as, uh, well, actually, I think I've written the message, so I had Gina help me. And basically, when she didn't understand things, I went, sat down and rewrote paragraphs or passages or whatever. So um, I, I've had her expertise as an English major or whatever. And uh, so it's very well written. I can say that because she helped me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, congratulations, Mark. I look forward to... um. I'll check it out online and uh, obviously we'll put a link into the show notes. Ah, uh, who's next? Let's zip back across the Atlantic to Richard Hilton in Connecticut where I believe the snow is falling and uh, it's looking, is it looking dubious as to you making it into work later
3: or do you think you can make it
1: if you put the chains on and the snow plow?
3: I've got the reindeer hitched up to the sleigh. Excellent. And the false beard? Yeah, the false beard. The dog sled, the dogs, the dogs are outside <laughs> howling. <laughs> No, um, I expect they'll be going in. We'll see. We'll see what develops here, see what the roads are like, you know. We've got – you do keep a four-wheel drive vehicle around when you live here. Yeah, I suppose you would. Um, just in case. But, but there's all that
1: stuff that you have to kind of keep, um, you know is – it, is it the same there where you have to – in certain parts of America when it's really snowy, you have to keep um, certain kind of life-saving devices in your boot, otherwise you can be fined if you're caught by a ranger. Is that,
2: is that the way it works?
3: No. Oh, okay, <laughs> not fine. here. Maybe where no. PJ lives.
1: <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> no, you'll just be found by the side of the road. Dead. Yeah. in right. right. yeah.
3: With 24 <laughs> inches of snow on top of you. Exactly. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, you, know, you do get some considerable snow, and I have a decent-sized and hilly driveway, so uh, the oh, idea of exciting. actually lifting all of that each time it snows is not appealing to my 52-year-old frame. So I keep a snowblower around and mm. some shovels. And now I have children to help me
1: help Yeah, with that's these true. T- Chores. Yeah. Clear the driveway. Well, anyway, Rich, nice to have you aboard. Rich Hilton can be, be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius for all um, your Rich and Hiltonius needs. You can see what Rich is up to. Um, anyway, uh, and back zipping back across the Atlantic at um, supersonic, or even the speed of light, probably, to Dave Spears from geforcesoftware.com. Basking, no doubt, in the glory of light emanating from the announcement of Imposca Two, or something. What do you think?
4: Yeah. You? yeah, no, lots of work to do, but um, it's sounding lovely.
1: Yeah, it sounded great in the demo, and you've had a lot of uh, all the people who are who were poo pooing have no doubt been eating eating their own poos. If you see what I mean, will
4: <laughs> put some uh, I'll put some videos Ooh. up on the website to try and stop some of the questions coming in because it was like actually we need to get our heads down and just finish this but actually it's increased the emails by about tenfold oh really <laughs> well, maybe, um,
1: is there a lesson to learn there just don't tell anyone about anything until you've got the box in your hands
4: yeah i'm rubbish at that though. yeah
1: me too well clearly i was implicit in spreading the word as well but only your say so i'd like to add wasn't my fault uh, gov
4: of course of course and uh, i haven't had a Letter from uh, Sting's lawyers, a cease and desist letter. So, we'll do it again next year.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's a good thing in the fact that we didn't reach enough people, or a good thing, oh, sorry, a bad thing, or whether it's a good thing in the fact that he's got a sense of humour and has obviously watched it. Hey, Trude, come and have a look at this, he was probably saying.
4: Yes. Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> She'd have gone, oh, God, not Spears again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway if you want to find out what the heck we're talking about you need to get over to our live coverage and check out the Namcam GeForce uh teaser if you look for that it'll find you'll, you'll see what we're talking about anyway so welcome everybody and um thank you for joining us as i've repeatedly said uh, so anyway um let's jump straight in rich i noticed that you said 52 year old frame which kind of Links tidily into the first topic, and the first topic is how can we really avoid it? I mean, obviously, uh, Steve Jobs, 53 years old, has just announced that he's taking six months out because he's not very well, and, and frankly, he didn't look very well. Uh, aside from the kind of, but he said he was fine for months and months and months kind of stuff that we could go on about for ages, I thought it would introduce an interesting question as to you know, there are lots of people saying, "Oh, Apple's screwed. If he doesn't come back, it's all going to be over." And uh, you know, there's nobody as visionary as him. And you know, that, that may well be true. Although uh, rumors have it that he's, you know, been spending a lot of time putting the right people in places, that kind of thing. But what happens if it doesn't do so well? Because I don't know if we can all remember, but before he came along, things when things weren't looking so great for a while, and it was it was starting to kind of get a bit scary as to whether or not Max would be the platform of choice in the future. And you know, if we were to get to that sort of situation, what would us Mac users do? And Dave, I'm thinking of you <laughs> as well, because obviously you're a Mac user and you develop software for a Mac. I mean, can you can you envisage a life without without it?
4: Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I think he might be in the chat room. I'm not on there at the minute. Uh, I'll tell you what Mr. Number Cruncher um, said. He said, "I'll have a giant hangover once I stop celebrating." <laughs> Which I think probably sums it up from a developer's point of view. Well, I suppose uh, uh, you only have to worry about one platform at a time. I mean, I, I remember the whole Mac debacle. I mean, it was really pre the, you know, the grape IMAX and all those coloured things, wasn't it? I mean, they were, it was looking very dodgy for a while. But I've just been working with a band who have had to upgrade everything. And it's become so tedious, this constant, constant upgrade, that in a way technology is kind of it's a sort of never-ending scene isn't it it just kind of continues and mm. what i like are people who use things as a means to an end as a tool and don't get caught up in this whole cyclic must have the latest greatest because actually it does get in the way of creativity and i think um, we should think about that for a while i was talking to
0: adam my brother about this today and i said what logic version are you on and he's like oh, i'm on seven and i was saying well adam you really must upgrade to eight and he said i don't want to it will put me back weeks if I do that. he said. And he said I'd rather go and learn something new like Ableton so he won't upgrade to Logic 8.
1: Well, that's a fair point. I mean, if it works for you and you can get the work done in it and it do- there's nothing in there that you think, if only I had this, I'd be able to do all these other things, what the heck? Why should you? Why would you? Well, I'm thinking more of the hardware, the support and all of that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, I mean, PJ, you're not a Mac user, um, but have been. But I mean, just in the general kind of concept of losing an entire platform that you've based a lot of put invested a lot of things in. I mean, it, it, has it happened to you? Do you can, how would you deal with it? What do you do?
2: Well, it was it was not easy to switch from the Mac to the PC, uh, and currently I am staggering two systems uh, because I have the luxury to do so, and that that's always difficult, you know. And I've been going through uh, this year a lot of major up grading of software so it's not quite the same thing because the the software is all supported, but having to having to go through that process is it's it's difficult it does it sets you back like uh like Mark was saying that uh, his brother was 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 um uh, ruminating on that why why do it unless you absolutely feel you must i mean there's been a a lot of great music made with four track set recorders you know let alone the latest and greatest stuff so I figure probably what would happen i mean for the serious power users it's going to be it's going to be a very difficult uh... and difficult time for for those people out there that are making music on their own or are using it as a writing tool maybe if if uh, apple fails they'll stick with their systems as long as they can and then and then think about migrating but it's it's not an easy thing to do and on the subject of steve jobs health uh... Is it my, have you heard, is it my understanding that he has claimed that he has some sort of hormone deficiency?
1: That was the initial claim, but apparently it's more complicated than that, whatever that may be. Well,
2: the reason I ask is because I, earlier this year, uh, in in the summer, I was diagnosed with a, a growth hormone deficiency.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh huh.
2: And I know that. In the in the case of that particular disorder, if you if you have something wrong with your pituitary gland or your hypo, hypothalamus gland, which can just suddenly happen in adulthood for for some people, it it's okay until it's not, and then when it and then when it's not, it's a very steep. Downhill decline until you start getting it treated and it's it's a long it's a long treatment protocol and you don't start feeling well or normal again for several for several months after and what winds up happening is you, you actually begin to prematurely age. Which
1: kind of looks like what's been happening, actually.
2: Right, exactly. And so when you, when you look at him, he may have other complications due to that, but I, I, I've i been watching this a little bit, and if that's the case with him, uh, it may be that he just has to take some time off, because literally it'll it'll get to the point where he's not going to be able to get up out of a chair.
1: Right, so in six months' time, you might well come back and uh, start yeah. steering the ship again anyway. If that's, that's an interesting point. Maybe you're right. Rich? You're a you have a lot of time and energy and effort invested in in you know certainly in one platform. I mean, I'm sure you work on others, but do, I mean, how does that? How would that kind of affect you, or have you had to, had to deal with a, a platform
3: loss? Oh, sure, I've switched platforms. When I got the job with Niall in 1988, I was working on a synclavier, which was not actually using a Mac as a front end. Uh, And I'd used computers before I used Macintoshes. I mean, I started using Macintoshes in 1985, but my first computer experience was 1973. So, um, have I seen platforms come and go? Yes. I I guess. (laughs) Do I think Apple's going to go that way? No. And do I see it? I would like to discuss the comparison between what happened about 15 years ago when Jobs was not involved with the company. And uh, I think was probably, was he involved with Next. The next computer yeah, next at that time? Yeah, next and
1: Pixar and stuff like that. And,
3: uh, right. And, and at the time, Apple started going kind of uh, south in terms of some of their development ideas and their direction. And then when it came back, everything got reborn and OS X came out and new hardware machines came out. But the thing is that now the landscape is completely different because I don't know what the numbers are, but I got to believe a sizable percentage of their business right now is based in things that didn't exist then at all. Well, like, iTunes,
1: like iTunes, like iPod. the whole
3: iPod thing, all the handheld gadgets, the phone business. I mean, I would think that desktop computers, while no doubt a significant portion of their business, uh, that's not necessarily, at least conceptually, what's keeping the boat afloat. I don't think. I, again, I don't know the numbers, and I. I think you're probably I'm right. I guess I'm speculating to some extent. So. Given the landscape and given the number of people that had to have been involved at every level in the development of all of those groundbreaking products, I got to think that they're probably going to continue to, you know, be a force to be reckoned with. God forbid something happens to Steve Jobs and he's incapacitated, unable to run it, or worse. So that you know, as I think about the differences, I don't think it's going to go like it did in the early nineties. Oh, okay, then, I think that's fair. Point. And then if it did, if it did, and if you forced me to work in Windows. I'd get the work done.
1: Yeah, I mean sure. that's the other thing. The the kind of platforms are that the the software platforms have been uh, have been sort of homogenised across platforms, really, haven't they? To a, to a degree, certainly Ableton and uh, Pro Tools. I mean, there are differences, perhaps, but you know you can still kind of use the same the environment of choice ultimately in the major ones. I mean, obviously not Logic.
3: Yeah, well, you, and almost any laptop you could run this stuff on. I mean, if you want to be. You know, with Ableton or anybody else's native software, you can run it on almost any laptop. Yeah, very Whether true. It's Apple or- now, I happen to prefer Apple's laptops, even if you're running Windows, but that's just me.
4: Sorry, Dave, you were saying? No, I was just saying, I was hearing something about the new uh, MacBooks, in that you can't remove the battery.
1: I think that's true,
4: yeah, I think they're built in. They're good, they're good for like 3,000 charges, which somebody equated to three years, $3,000 for three years. I mean, that's not really a step forward, is it?
1: Is it $3,000? No. 3, $3,
0: I don't well, think they're okay. good for three thousand charges either. I think it's more like three hundred, isn't it, on a lithium battery? <laughs> if you if you have a lithium, if you own a laptop for about a year, your your battery starts to lose performance after about a year if you charge it constantly. When on the subject of batteries, I've found that power books and trains aren't compatible. And if you plug your power adapter in on a train, I don't know what's going on with the electricity on trains, but it kills the battery. Really, and I've killed two doing that. Yeah. Don't do it, folks.
1: At least in the UK, right?
3: Hi, I'm Nick Phoenix, and uh, my company is called Quantum Leap, and we are uh, part of East West. And um, I'm showing my new product, which is called Silk, which is instruments from China, India, and Persia, and um, and everything was recorded at you know very very high quality in, in East West Studios and also Capital Studios, and. Um, the thing that makes this really different from other uh, ethnic offerings is that we have sampled the transitions between the notes, um, so the sliding between the notes so is it, is all been recorded. All the different possibilities of that, and that really is such a big part of, of, of this type of music. that's so it's so important. Yeah, this is an Armenian duduk, and um, we've sampled the, the legato transitions, and I can control those by the mod wheel. Yeah. So.
1: Well, there we go. That was uh, Nick Phoenix of Quantum Leap uh, showing his Silk Road. Uh, It was just an excuse for me to plug that because I was really proud of that interview because we actually kind of got onto other (laughs) stuff, which was quite interesting about uh, work because he had to work with a lot of musicians on that who just hadn't got a word of English going on at all, not nothing. And he said it was quite interesting and I just thought... As a sort of really tenuous link, uh, has anyone else had uh, similar situations? Like, or maybe when they're touring, when they've had to go and they've had to kind of explain quite complex um, technical or, you know, requirements or whatever, uh, and there's just been zero language compatibility. How does it work? I mean, it, or as I said in the notes, does music transcend transcend all borders? Let's start with uh, maybe some of our tourers. I know, Dave, you've done a lot of touring as a sort of tech kind of guy. Have you... Um how do you deal with that or how with musicians uh
4: some musicians don't speak human (laughs) well that's true that's always entertaining um i don't know really shout loudly and point a lot i think (laughs) diagrams do they work (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you speak yeah. it with
1: a with with the accent to try oh, and of, kind of course.
4: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can usually get by in most languages. You know, French is maintenant ec toute vitesse. Uh French is uh, sorry, German is raus and you uh, <laughs> should get by.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is I want, I want it quickly. hmm <laughs> And uh, what about you, Rich? Because you've kind of done a lot of recording and touring. I mean, how do you find those sort of things, or do you tend to have translators
3: on hand? I rarely have the problem where I have to communicate with somebody in another language. But uh, once recently, in Deauville, France, I was asked to translate between our stage tech and one of their guys – um, and it, there was a little bit of hand-waving involved. There wasn't any voice-raising, and I was speculating about a few French words given the vocabulary I developed going to school back when I did um, and sort of got away with it and managed to convey to this guy that the amplifier was humming and they, need, and they needed something to reverse the polarity. Um, but other than that, it doesn't come up for me because uh, I don't usually have to communicate with that much with people and and usually those folks that come to art that are helping us speak english uh, okay, so level. you
1: kind of got your crew as well your immediate yeah. crew
3: you have people Well, no i don't even mean that but i mean even if we go to italy most of the guys who are on the stage crew have some working english going on
1: yeah i get what you're saying so i went to japan and did a gig in tokyo with um a, a, a band from bristol oh. And I remember getting there, and they had a Yamaha, I don't know what it was, PM1 or something, really kind of quite complicated live desk for its time. And the house engineer who came with it spoke not a word of English and had dutifully reset everything so that it wasn't routed or configured in any way whatsoever. And I had absolutely no understanding of how the desk worked at all, so... uh, That was kind of fun. I think I managed to convey, can you set it up and I'll just make it sound good at the bits when I know to put the delay on, kind of thing, is where I ended up at. What about you, Mark? Uh,
0: Yes, been to lots of foreign countries and had communication difficulties with people, but generally had interpreters to hand. But um, I had a rather difficult experience with a Japanese man in a recording studio who was a huge Duran Duran fan and sent me this amazing demo actually and he sounds exactly like David Bowie and uh, we spent two or three hours in the green room of this studio discussing how we could change his direction and come up with new concepts for his tracks and you know, lots of agreement yeah, yeah, hi, hi and we'd go through, you know, talk and it was like I was kind of Uh, coaching him away from sounding like David Bowie a bit, maybe, and trying to find his own sound. Yeah. And then we'd go back into the studio, and then he'd turn on this big Korg Triton and start fiddling around and just come out with exactly the same thing we were doing five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just, I just, it wasn't going. And then, so, then I convinced him that I would write a song for him, and I wrote this amazing, well, I thought it was amazing, piece of heavy metal Uh, thing and got him to start singing on it and then he got really really upset and then went back to his Triton and then was trying to go back to playing this one really strange loop that just didn't make any sense to me so we didn't really gel i suppose (laughs) although when we sat in the green room and talked it all through we we had these amazing kind of vibey kind of yeah yeah let's do that right okay yeah come on and then we went back in the in the studio and it was obvious that there was absolutely no communication between (laughs) us but anyway it was he paid me at the end and went away unhappy unfortunately which i'm sad about
3: but uh-huh. I would like to say something about that Quantum Leap instrument that started the discussion. Oh, yes, of the, course. Uh, Why not? The silk instrument. Um, it sounded really great, of course, and we're, it's not something I would necessarily have on hand until I needed it, but I'm really glad to know it's there.
1: Yes, yeah, but very I wonder,
3: I wonder, based on what he played, you see, I have a lot of East-West stuff, and almost all of it is just wallowing in ambience. And the patch he's playing is wallowing in ambience. And while that sounds all well and good when you're just playing it like that, typically, or quite often, I want the thing quite a bit drier, and I want control over that ambience. I want to be able to merge that ambience with other ambiences I'm using. And uh, I wonder if they provide a drier version of that than they do of their orchestral libraries.
1: Oh, I see. Is there no way to blend the um, the reverb, or is it all sar- you know, the p-
3: closest mic stuff they have in their orchestral library is too far away from me half the time.
1: Okay. Uh, PJ dropped again. I'm just going to try and get him again. Let's just have another go. Hello. PJ. Hey, PJ, got you back. So we were talking about um, language barriers and whether there have been any uh, interesting situations you'd found yourself in um, where it was almost impossible to communicate but got through it somehow or didn't.
2: Yeah, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, items come to mind. Uh Several years ago, I was part of a a duo performing group with a guy from Bahia, Brazil, who spoke very limited uh, English, but who was a fantastic percussion player. His native language was Portuguese, and I do not speak a word of it. Um, So that was an interesting situation. We got together to do some um, jazz performing around the Twin Cities, and then... uh, We applied for the McKnight performance grant, which is a yearly grant given out to uh, performers. And we had to come up with, oh, I think it was 30 or 40 minutes worth of material for for that particular project. And it was very interesting. It was very difficult. He had a... Kind of a very laid back approach to music making and music practicing, whereas I'm I, I, I tend to get a little bit more structured when I get into a group, wanna kinda of regiment things and, and make things move forward. And so it was it was interesting with the language barrier, how to explain, hey, you want to get up out of the chair and stop smoking illicit substances so that we can uh <laughs> you know, get back I do mean, that's the same in any language, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then um, about ten years ago, I was down in Mexico at the behest of a friend who has a club on the East Coast down there, and uh, I was playing in there. And I came across there, there's a, a very good music scene on the Riviera Maya, just local musicians who are who are good, and um, they sort of travel from club to club, and they're they're very. Gracious! In the fact that the, you know, when they know you're a musician, they want you to come and check out their show and sit in with them and that type of thing. So I was invited to come down and play a set with um, a guy by the name of Mike Mansoor, who speaks absolutely no English, and I have very limited understanding of Spanish. And he is an amazing guitar player, just amazing. This guy that owns a he owns a little hotel on uh, the Riviera Maya down in eastern Mexico, and Four nights a week, he has a a band that goes out and plays everything from original and traditional tunes that he's written to um, you know covers from all all genres and and ages. And uh, he's just a phenomenal guitar player. And uh, we didn't exchange one word in either one of our na- native languages. And there was a a guy there who sort of loosely translated um, you know concepts and what. What Mike wanted to do for the evening, and then uh, we sat and Mike, Mike and I talked through this guy for um, about an hour after the show, and he would go on and on and on in Spanish for six, seven minutes at a crack, and then his uh, his friend who was translating for us would say, "Mike wants to tell you how much he enjoyed playing with you tonight." Yeah. <laughs> i'm like are you sure that's all that's all mike said <laughs> i love that, <laughs> I love yeah. that. Well,
1: There's probably a backstory there that you'll only know sure if you speak spanish.
2: spanish Yeah, exactly exactly but uh there were a lot of smiles and a lot of handshakes and a lot of hugs and that type of thing so that that type that type of gesture always translates well you kn- excellent
1: what i'm going to do now is actually we'll go on to the roland v piano because uh, i just want to because i we talked about it last week but we didn't hear it so here's a
4: little bit of john Maul and his so let's try detuning the piano and you keep an eye there on the screen now keep in mind we are actually detuning the piano we're taking the outside strings and uh leaving the fundamental there and just detuning the whole piano so let's just try <laughs> So we actually have a properly detuned piano, not just a honky-tonk preset on one of our keyboards, any keyboard. So this gives us far more control. And, of course, if you wanted to play a little bit of uh, honky-tonk... That's
1: the V-piano, which is Roland's fabulous new modelled piano, basically. And it seems to me that uh, modelling seems to have come forward this year much more so and the v piano being one example there's also the wallander instruments the weevy stuff that uh, i also put a video up of which i was really impressed by as well and i thought oh well a um i know uh, rich you were very interested in what the v piano had to offer and you must have seen that video and what you thought about that and then B, um modeling in general from a software point of view which i'll get to dave on afterwards perhaps rich
3: i thought it sounded really good in in the demos that he played i mean um, the whole bit about being able to detune it and change the attack and make other things out of it well yeah if you're modeling it obviously you can do all kinds of things to it but but ultimately it's what does the piano sound like when you're playing it like a piano and when he played it like a piano it sounded pretty darn good to me um i couldn't hear it well enough to examine that part of the tone that i was talking about last week where sure. as the notes stay de- together they kind of combine in interesting harmonic ways that that I couldn't really examine but if that works as well as a modeled piano should that part of it the attack on this thing was far better than any other modeled piano I'd heard based on the video sound you know that I was hearing so uh, I'm really encouraged and excited and as I wrote on my little Facebook page I want one
1: (laughs) yes excellent well uh, PJ you're a pianist did you get a chance to check this out as well
2: yeah, absolutely and I'm 100% on on the same page with Rich here. I couldn't I don't think I could add anything. I want one too. There it's beautiful.
1: Hmm. well I've, they they were very excited at the in the Roland Camp about it and uh, it seems, you know, cuz this can happen a lot of times where people get very excited about something and then they show it to you and you go, "Well, yeah." And you know, because they might get excited about it for different reasons than you would. Um, but it seems that this is quite a unanimous sort of zone. So, hello, Dave, did you get a chance to listen to it? I know you You kind of like the a good piano sound. I
4: do, and I did. And it sounded very good, from what I could hear.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, I know. It's very difficult to be absolutely I mean, We do our best with the sound quality, but it has to go through some kind of processing.
4: It's things like the sympathetic, you know, harmonic string resonances and stuff like that brilliant brilliant i worked uh on a general music piano called the pro 2 which is a big yeah. hardware thing um and we did quite a lot of um physical modeling with that you know damper pedal stuff and uh, it, for me that was one of the better better hardware pianos i remember but that one. time's moved on mm-hmm. so i think this could be very very good mm-hmm.
1: yeah so um, I- how much how much i don't know um they said I've three heard, grand i've been three and five grand i mean we've got no idea yet but it's going to be coming soonish because obviously that's a fairly complete piece of hardware i guess they're just tweaking other stuff with it i mean oliver davis is in the uh in the chat room uh and he's unclear of this of the, of it but has been able to play it for the last few weeks and he seems to be quite excited by it as well um mark modeling and the v piano what do you think?
0: Uh, I need to hear it in real life
1: yes, I suppose that 's fair coming
0: life. across coming across on the uh, from that film on the internet, it sounded like it had a there 's a slight tone that digital pianos have that real ones don 't that i actually don 't like so that th- I think that was there and it 's a it's, i can 't i couldn 't even start to explain what the frequency is, but I think um But I think that might just be my personal choice in piano. I mean, if you sat me in front of a really expensive, really beautifully tuned piano, I might not actually like that.
1: Well, one of the things Um, that I thought was really interesting, and I was uh, disappointed that John didn't kind of play in the extreme, was the action of being able to soften the dampener, the the, the hammers, like enormously, so that you could actually get a really... Almost muffled tone from it, and I really wanted to hear that, but he kind of said, "Oh, that's too far. Let's go back to some." And I I just, I really wanted to, (laughs) want to go. No, I I want to hear that. that.
0: (laughs) I mean, my favourite piano, my favourite piano piece of all time is probably from the soundtrack of the Diva film. But that is the, it's a very soft piano sound, and it's got echo on the right hand.
1: Yeah, so, I wonder. I mean, because it sounds like that—you know—you could design your own thing, and you know, that sounds just sort of brilliant. Which kind of gets me onto the whole model kind of concept. I mean, Dave, you presumably do some modelling in your software, you know? Whether it, uh, at least, I mean, is it is it a kind of a different mindset completely? I mean, how is it when you have to kind of work with that concept rather than sample and modification?
4: Uh, I would imagine certainly with stringed instruments, it's very different. I mean, any you know electronic modelling is. Literally measurement, 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 and then working from various patents and stuff like that, um, circuit diagrams. But uh, with uh, pianos and stuff, I'd imagine that's very, very difficult. I think with the general music thing, they worked in conjunction with uh, Padua University initially, uh, and then I think it had to be condensed into something like eight meg of RAM. So it was all, um, yeah, it was all. Why did they do that? Why see the plants? well, it was really what was around at the time, you know, it was like... Oh, not for okay. this. this. Oh, no, I no, the...
1: I'm, I'm sure they could afford a bit more RAM than that. I was about no, to I'm... say, <laughs> okay, right, sorry, I misunderstood.
4: <laughs> I'd imagine uh, this is a really, really extensive job. I mean, Roland don't do anything by halves anyway, so I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Are we at the point where these things... Because, I mean, talking to various people, you know, the, the, the speed of the processes that they're putting in these things that are able to generate this stuff in real time with so little latency... We're going to see more and more of this stuff i mean the the Wee-V instruments I don't know if anyone got a chance to watch that demo that I shot with Arne wallander I, I was you know the the first bit that was the solo trumpet wasn't the best bit there were some really good and it sounded bloody amazing with alongside um you know the 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 breath controller just gave it a really quite potent realism that i was i wasn't ready for, so I thought well maybe it's getting there, you know maybe we're at the point where these algorithms are becoming super honed to, to be able to get us to do these things.
2: He's an absolute genius. I remember the first time in the, the Northern Sound Source forum that he posted some MP3s, and this was uh, prior to him releasing his first, uh, I believe the, I think it was the brass that was the first pack that he released, and that was a couple of years ago. And he, uh, he posted MP3s of demos that he had done with that technology, and everybody was like, wow, that sounds fantastic. And, he, and then he posted, and these are not samples. These are synthesized their re-synth- resynthesis, I guess is what yeah. he's doing there, yeah, and it's just it 's astonishing what he can do there 's nobody doing anything like it. It was amazing. If you
1: listen to the demos on the uh, the Wallander site, I mean they are really some really beautiful and incredibly dynamic stuff. Sounds like the perfect time to thank our new show sponsor, who are Roland UK. And uh, we'd like to say welcome to them, of course. Um, always happy to have a new show sponsor. Uh, we really appreciate the uh, support they're giving us at the moment because uh, uh, we love doing the show. We want to keep it going. They'd like to invite you to take a look at the Phantom GA, it's the ultimate workstation for Studio Alive. Uh, giant colour touchscreen, 128 track sequencer, audio recording, HD streaming, the sounds. All these things go together to make the Roland Phantom G8 the professional performance workstation keyboard of choice. Check them out at roland.co.uk slash phantom G. Once again, I'd like to say thank you and welcome to Roland UK, the new show sponsors. I wondered whether or not we could go on to vocal harmony generators, um, just because there's a really good demo from the TC voice live 2 which is also something that uh, i managed to get a demo of unfortunately it wasn't they didn't have any working uh models there but i went to the website and i found this rather impressive uh tc helicon voice live 2 demo so check this
3: out
0: What
1: can I say? That was the Voice Live 2, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm listening to all the other kind of vocoding and all these other things. That was pretty damn impressive for a... Qu- that's a yeah. cor- That was doing the... Cor- the first bit was, uh, obviously, the solo voice, then there was a, cor- a choral preset, and this is all real-time stuff, and I think it's working from MIDI input or maybe a guitar input. And this is the thing that was so incredible about it. When I was talking to Tom Lang, the product guy, he was saying, you know, this thing will track from just audio you pour into it you know so that could be an mp3 it could be you know stereo mass, it could be a, and it can analyze the pitch content and the chordal content and, and and apply it accordingly which sort of was a bit mind-boggling well you know we're all kind of going crazy for melodyne dna which is you know really great but this thing is also seems to be pretty impressive because that has to analyze it first and this is doing this in real time anyone is anyone else as excited about this as i am i just think it could be incredibly powerful Live, yes, yes, Mark. <laughs> hooray I knew I had my finger poised. I, what else?
0: I had I my what finger to say about it. Man. I <laughs> was what so close that? to a tumbleweed moment there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you is it uh, is okay. I was very impressed by the Roland keyboard that does this with the choir yes. sounds, the VP70, yeah. the, the, v- v- the VP70,
2: the VP550 does it too, yeah.
3: The new one that the guy was demoing on uh, Nick's video there on Sonic State was fantastic. And I wonder if that takes an audio input like this TC thing does.
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it does. I think it's a different process. And I think the TC thing, from what I've heard, I mean, God knows if you ever go to NAM, all you can pretty much hear is TC voice live demos. You know, I mean, because they have singers and guitarists up there just doing their thing. And it, you know, it's been. Bubbling away there for a long time, and I suspect there's quite a lot of producers and people... Listening to that, I was thinking, I wonder if Timberland's had one of these things in his studio for kind of a couple of years, and has been just doing, you know, or what's his name? Who's that other guy? The guy who who basically all his tunes are vocoded to the max, or at least, you know, auto-tuned to the max, and that's part of his sound. Is it Usher? Usher? I mean, this now seems to be coming forward as this incredibly advanced and very uh, mature pitch analysis stuff and vocals things. I mean, I can imagine, you know, if you get one of these people with a person on the tour with one of those and a mic, you could get a three or four or five or six or up to eight-part BV section from one person.
3: Well, it's funny you should mention it, because in 1994, I toured briefly with David Lee Roth doing exactly that. Just doing the BVs um, on the... On a Digitech vocalist. Well, we had just done an album called Your Filthy Little Mouth, on which many of the vocals were created by me manipulating alternate lead vocal takes through the Digitech vocalist and creating harmony parts and such. And uh, he must have liked it because he invited me to come play some gigs. Mm. Yeah, So oh, cool. I. Th- so, yeah, I see a future in it. I did it 15 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess the thing is with this <laughs> stuff is, you know, it's just... The power now under the hood. Uh, 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 Rob GS in the chat room says Kanye. Yeah, it's Kanye West. Is is it's what's his eight oh eight and Heartbreak or whatever his new album isn't it? That's just basically every single track is is processed in this is heavily processed. It's part of his sound.
2: Well,
3: um, that whole thing about forcing things to pitch wasn't what we were doing back then. It was more, um, you know, the uh, the electronic backgrounds, one person generating section sounds on, on occasion and uh, kind of singing along electronically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Anybody else care to chip in? PJ, I- I'll take advantage of you while you're still on the line and you haven't dropped off again. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. That choral preset sounded really good across the Skype line. I'd love to hear it. I'm going to go to uh, TC's site afterwards and listen to it from there and see what it sounds like.
1: I'd be really interested to know if you can abuse it by putting stuff that isn't a voice into it and see how it works then. You know, like mono lines and trumpets and, you know, that sort of thing. I, I should yeah, have, I should have it. asked him, actually. Yeah. That would be quite interesting. I'm sure you could come up with some pretty bizarre sounds, making it try and do stuff that maybe it wasn't
2: designed initially to do. You know what I'll say about about that TC product that that I think is interesting is when they first came out with, I think when they first had that is it Helicon the company that merged with TC to to produce this technology, or they acquired mm-hmm. um, back in around the turn of the century here. They put out a vocal processor that is similar to Antares throat uh, yeah. that changes the character of a voice, that type of thing. Really it's expensive brilliant. unit. Brilliant. And, uh,
0: Absolutely that's brilliant. The, TC,
2: the TC product is.
0: Yeah. Keep talking, though. I won't interrupt you any further. When,
2: when I <laughs> When I originally heard it, I wasn't... I wasn't exactly sold. I thought this, is a, this might be need for adding a little texture to a vocal, you know, roughing up a vocal. It's, it's almost like a unique distortion device or a unique filter or something like that. And I thought definitely, for me anyway, and for the purposes that I could use it for, not worth the price. But I'm glad to see that they've stuck it out and that they've created some extremely mature, extremely useful, and extremely powerful products. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's pretty amazing what you just played us, I think.
0: Yeah, the, the, When yeah. I recorded the Dandy Warhol's album, we stuck Courtney through that thing for everything, and we adjusted ah. his voice a lot. So a lot of those vocals have been tweaked with that box. And after we finished producing that album, when they did their next album, he actually emailed me and said, what was that box we were using in the studio? And I think they went out and bought one. So if the evidence is all over that Welcome to the Monkey House record and probably the subsequent album as well. Okay. Oh, okay excellent I remember,
3: stuff i remember you showing it to me mark
0: it's so cool it has a texture to it the texture of that audio you played even though it was coming over skype has this kind of it's not a warmth it's more like a, a kind of uh, i don't know like fabric fur edges that kind of envelop envelope you and tickle you if you know what i mean and that's what that piano doesn't have the roland piano is almost too pure And it's almost so pure that it doesn't sound like a real piano because it's too pure. And if you had a real piano in a room, you'd have a certain amount of background noise from, I don't know, the washing machine and the cat or something. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's audio in the air always. And when you mic up a real piano, there's real air between the piano and the microphone. And those Roland things are just ever so slightly too too real to sound real, if that makes any sense.
1: That's an interesting... I mean, I don't know if you got to see the Yamaha uh, Avant Grand thing that I shot as well with uh, Peter Bartman's, and that's actually got more movement and air in it because it vibrates and kind of interacts with the physical space that you're in a little bit more. That's quite interesting, It's a, but it's a different... You know, it's sample-based. It's not the same thing at all, and it's incredibly expensive. You know, it's it's a totally different beast. But... Um, uh, and you wouldn't want to put your coffee on it because it would just spoil mm. spoil the finish. <laughs> It's true. true.
3: Oh, that could be in the future Doorstops Hall of Fame. You think so? Absolutely. But I, I know, you you have to try it out, Rich, because it is Of course, quite- I, know they, I know they're an advertiser and all, but I don't get a $20,000 piano with six-inch speakers in it. I'm sorry. No, it's it's all right, Rich. They're not advertisers anymore. Roland UK, in fact, are now advertisers on the podcast. God bless them. I love those guys. I use their stuff on stage. I think they've got the best damn weighted action of any of them. But uh, besides that, that Yamaha thing is going to be holding open a very large and shiny door very soon. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> the um the, the Roland also has the best mod stick,
0: doesn't it? So assuming they still have those.
1: Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't think you'd need one on a piano. That would be a bit um weird, oh. wouldn't
0: it? No, no, I don't mean the piano. <laughs> sure. Roland synthesizers have that lovely mod wheel, don't they? Uh, yeah, they do.
1: Yeah. I do I do remember a different part. If you're interested in Mod Wheel, did we not have a group discussion about your favorite Mod Wheel, <laughs> which was so fantastically synth nerdy. I think I'm going to have to dig it up and see if I can uh, put the sh- link in the show okay. notes.
2: I'm sitting in front of my Roland VK7 and I love that, that box. And I have... Uh, Rich Rich has the newer version. I have a Roland RD500 sitting in my apartment that I use daily to practice the piano uh, when I'm home and not at the studio with my grand. <laughs> So I love I love Roland too. Here's to Roland. Wow, it's a bit of a Roland love fest. At uh, just about the right time to. Um...
0: But now, actually, now we've done that. Can we balance that out by saying that Peter Peck is a lovely man? Because well, that, I've absolutely, met he is a <laughs> lovely <laughs> man.
1: And we also, we obviously, we totally appreciated their support, and they'd be most welcome to come back anytime they like. <laughs> Should the uh, this is just degenerate? I, look, I don't want everybody to think that I'm just a dreadful whore. So, you know, let's. <laughs> what makes
3: you think? Why would we think a thing
1: like that? They're not dreadful. People jump to all sorts okay. of conclusions, you know? Nobody said dreadful. <laughs> Nobody said anything about dreadfulness. <laughs> okay, I'm a quality. I'm a quality. You're an absolute top end trollop, <laughs> top end hooker. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> um, uh, um, um, um um well anyway, I, I I I'm not sure that I can actually uh, add any more to this uh, this show without um maybe digging a deeper and more vertiginous pit for myself to climb out of. So perhaps this is a good time to to bring a close to this, today's uh, podcast, I'd like to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Uh, the chat room filled up nicely. Thank you very much for everybody there. And, uh, and also to my local guests uh, in the form of Dave Spears from GeForceSoftware.com.
4: Thank you. Can I just add to the road of love by saying a big thank you to Martin Hopkins for um, being very nice over the last couple of days.
1: Ah, good. good. He's a nice bloke. Mars, he's known as, in fact. Ah, okay. Part of the Roland Welsh posse.
4: Yes, no, it's been very, 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 very helpful.
1: Right, oh, well, I'll have to find out a bit more about that, but uh, yes, by all means, you may mention it, and indeed have. And of course, uh, let's. where should we go now? PJ, PJ Tracy, thank you for, for coming along and hanging in there. I know the line dropped a few times, but we, we stuck it out, and we got what we needed.
2: Thank you very much. And I'd just like to say my very first synthesizer was a Roland Juno 106. So Roland will always have an eminent place in my heart. And to uh, cast backwards and, and plug something that you've already plugged, I, I highly recommend people checking out East West Silk. I own the predecessor product to that, which was RAW. And Nick Phoenix is a genius. So uh, anybody looking for a, an ethnic library on the market, I think they have the very best thing going.
1: Oh, well, fair enough. A man who speaks from experience—the best way to come at it from. Anyway, thanks, PJ. PJTracyMusic and Rich Hilton. Uh, I don't know if it's still snowing there. Whether you're contemplating a life on the sofa watching daytime TV rather than having to go to work, I do hope so. If that's what you want,
3: <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But uh, <laughs> how do you how do you spell Roland in Welsh? <laughs> I think it's can I can I, I sell with- them a vowel? <laughs>
0: probably with lots of L's, loads of D's. <laughs> couple of D's got a bunch,
3: <laughs> I got a bunch of vowels for sale. Thank Always a you. pleasure. Well, thank, thank you, you very
1: much, Rich. And um, Rich, of course, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And uh, Mark Tinley, thank you for joining us at, together in unison with your Line 6 that seems to be working nicely under... is it What is it now? We're Tigger.
0: Well, I, well what's the most recent
1: Apple one? Is it Tigger? Bouncy, yeah, bouncy, Tigger. pouncy, trouncy, fun, 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 fun <laughs> in the immortal words of the great cat oliver davis <laughs> from uh, roland uk has just has just written roland with loads of d's on the end which i think is very funny <laughs> <laughs> so uh, mark thank you very much and um, good luck with the book sales and don't forget to give us a, a link for the show notes and we'll 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 plug it as much as is humanly possible oh
0: brilliant Love, thank you very much thank you very much
1: so folks uh, thus endeth uh, the podcast number 115 for this week looks like the audio is back on track live chat rooms working Hey, end on a good note. Okay, thanks very much everybody, and goodbye.